Vulnerability has become the latest, greatest trait that leaders are encouraged to develop. We'll talk about what it is, why it matters, and how to do it without overdoing it. Plus, post the damn salary. We're starting right now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. The show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Now here's your host, speaker, and author, Joe Mall. Greetings and salutations, boss heroes. Welcome back. This show is your show. It's the place where we explore many of the challenges and issues that come with leading people in a modern world. We love finding ways to give you the advice, humor, and encouragement you need to create the conditions for people to thrive at work. And we especially love answering your questions, which you can always send us at bossbetternow at gmail.com. Please welcome back to the show, executive coach, HR advisor, and cheese connoisseur, Suzanne Malowski. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Joe. I do like me some cheese, but I'm, sure. I'm trying here in, you know, in the first end of the first month of the year, <laughs> I've not had much cheese. It's not not in the uh, menu selection. So cheese so. is on the no list. Yes. Oh, okay. So cheese it's is on, on my no yes list. list. Isn't that interesting? It is. So I'm doing a little bit more of the low carb, but lean, less yeah. dairy, less cheese, which has been very, very difficult. What's but left? successful nevertheless. I know. Vegetables, <laughs> Joe. Yes. Vegetables. Yes. Uh, but I also looked up, do you know what French word for cheese maker is? I don't. So if we know a sommelier is the, the wine right. expert, I was I'm like, okay, there's gotta be a cheese gal or guy expert. Yeah. And so it's fromager. Oh it's your cheese maker or cheese expert. In French. Listen, if so I want to impress people, I feel out. like, mm -hmm. yeah, introducing myself with that word as opposed to a sommelier. Yes. Would even sound more fancy. What's the word again? Fromager. Fromager. And it means I'm a cheese expert? Yes, because fromage is cheese. Ah. So, there you go. Dropping knowledge on the podcast. Wow. And I bet if you if you are a, what's the word? Fromager. If you are truly a fromager, I bet you earn some real cheddar. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was that was a big uh. swing at a dad joke. <laughs> All right, why don't we move quickly into our first segment, uh, which is going to be about vulnerability. So quick backstory. I had uh, the experience last year around this time of doing an informal poll on LinkedIn. And um, I do a lot of publishing on LinkedIn. If we're not connected on LinkedIn, by the way, friends, feel free to connect with me there because uh, we are publishing a lot of interesting content there as well these days. And uh, I put up an informal poll about a year ago where I asked folks, what is the number one skill needed the most to be a great boss? I was curious how people from all walks of life would answer this. And it wasn't a poll where you vote on a couple of different options. This was a fill in the blank in the, you know, put your comments below. And I was knocked out by the number of people who responded with vulnerability. Hmm. And people wrote beautiful paragraphs about why this was the most important skill that leaders could acquire 
in order to be more effective leaders. And I had a really interesting reaction to this because my first reaction to this, Suzanne, was I've never thought about vulnerability as a skill. I think about it more as a characteristic, right, or a trait. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess you could even argue that it's a habit, that it's a a mindset sometimes. I think you could could apply Mm -hmm. all of those labels to the concept of vulnerability. And so um, I've been thinking about that for a while. And obviously, we're living at a moment right now where vulnerability uh, as a concept has received more attention than ever before, thanks in large part to Brene Brown and all of the work that she has done to research and publish and write uh, about the subject. Uh, And we are seeing a lot of um, organizations and leaders invest in becoming more vulnerable as a way to more effectively lead people. So I thought it might be worthwhile for us to talk a little bit more about vulnerability here on the show, Suzanne. My understanding, Mm -hmm. the way that I think about vulnerability is that vulnerability is really just a willingness to show up as a flawed person. And, and to acknowledge where we might have concerns or doubts or fall short. How do you mm-hmm. understand the concept? Uh, and where have you seen it starting to play a role in how leaders show up? So I I think I would define it similarly. Mm-hmm. Similarly. Yeah, that word. Um, <laughs> see, I'm vulnerable. Year. I can't pronounce that word. Yes. <laughs> right. So um, it's it's being transparent and truthful in the right times, in the right places. Yeah. And I've run into it with with young managers or managers who kind of have this bias or this blind spot or this antiquated belief that I've arrived, mm-hmm. I'm king of the hill or queen of the, the kingdom, whatever it might be, and I have to know all the answers. Right. I have to be the one to make the decision. I have to tell everybody what to do, and it's just not the case. So vulnerability means that you're, when, I, when I don't know, when I need to lean on the team, when I want information from the team, I was first, I would say, where I thought of vulnerability the most was around establishing trust with yeah. your teams. Because A, if you think you're perfect, you're not. And they're going to figure that out in a hurry. If you think you need to be perfect, you're never going to hold that You're never going to get there. So it's being honest with yourself and then honest with others. So then it gives them a reason to trust you. So if you don't know how to solve that problem or you're not sure or you feel afraid, you know, or a little um, trepidatious, it helps build trust with people because I'm like, oh, Joe's a human. This person is real. They're thinking a lot of the same things I am. So maybe I even connect and can trust where they're coming from. So that I I connect it with building trust. Yeah, absolutely. I so appreciate how, and I don't know if you were doing intentionally or this this just happened organically, but you really acknowledge that this is both about knowledge and emotions. Right. That sometimes Mm -hmm. we're vulnerable because we don't know an answer or we don't have the information. Uh, But sometimes we have to be vulnerable by acknowledging the emotions that we're experiencing. Right. I'm having doubt. I'm I'm afraid. I'm uncertain. I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. Um, We know that this is tough for leaders who have long felt like they need to demonstrate power and authority in order to be successful. Especially, you know, if you think about some industries uh, where being sort of the alpha 
is so critical to success. I'm thinking about like, you know, Wall Street and banking, investment, you know, financial sectors, things like that. Uh, if you've ever worked in uh, blue collar roles, right, where I, my dad built houses. I spent a lot of years on job sites in high school and in college. And um, there's definitely a sort of macho alpha mentality in some of those places. And so some people come into those leadership roles hardwired to not do this, but we've seen mm-hmm. so many benefits from it. Why is it worth admitting when you don't know or admitting when you're afraid? Well, why is it worth it? Uh, because I, I, I go down the path of empathy mm-hmm. because uh, it builds empathy between two people because I can imagine how you might be feeling. You shared how I'm feeling. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling the same way. So there's feelings in there. Oh my gosh. Right. Or like you said, if it's knowledge or skill or something I'm not aware of, I know of, that makes me feel like you're part of the team because yeah. you're reaching out to somebody else who might have that answer or that skill set. And then, Joe, you know, you were talking about manufacturing and, and blue collar, and but your experience in healthcare. Think about our doctors mm-hmm. yeah. and that that emergency room doctor or the one in the surgery surgery suite, they have to feel like they have to know all the answers, yep. right? So that notion of vulnerability might be even hard to fathom for people like that. But it's still, there are opportunities to say, um, I need your help, or this is tough. Um, yeah. And that people just feel like they can relate to you better when you're, you're honest like that. Do I believe there's a tipping point of going too far? Absolutely. We're not asking you to freak out or melt down <laughs> right. um, on a regular basis. Oh, I was trying to build. Vault. No, um, because people are still looking for direction or the tone or the the spirit of which we need to go forward from a leader. Those are all the things you have the opportunity to influence and set from a culture perspective or just the feels in the room. Um, So acknowledging that this might be scary or that this is, this is new water. We're going new water, new territory. So we're going to uncharted waters, right? Is that what (laughs) that's 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 where I was was with you? Absolutely. Mixed my (laughs) metaphors there, but you know, we've never done something like this before. Yeah. So let's move forward. I'm going to hear, I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. So even setting the tone from like, this is going to be the great experiment, our teams, but we're in it together. So uh, there's all kinds of benefits from that, but just like anything else that it can't be um, overused. Yes. Um, you know, it's not the, I'm going to start a meeting with a tear to try to make you, you're not trying to make people feel sorry for you. Right. Um, you're not trying to get them to, um, we were laughing. I, I gave a presentation back in December. I had laryngitis and yes, I asked my colleague, um, is that hard to listen to? me talking like that. She said, well, I think you're getting the sympathy vote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, so you do, you know, you're not going to milk the sympathy, tr- you know, vote all the time because right. you don't want, this is hard for me as a leader. This is tough. Be careful. Yeah, You know, just right. Not too far, but somewhere in the middle where you show you're human. I think you said yes. it first, right? That you're human. You've got, you've got the feels that they might have. You um, might not have, have all the answers, and that's why you have a good team around you so that we can figure this out together, I think, is, a, is an angle. When you overuse it, you become the boy who cried wolf, right? You go from yeah. authenticity to it being a performance. And that's actually a, a way to destroy trust. 
right now. Yes, and and for if sure. I feel like you're being inauthentic with your emotions, then you're manipulating me. And that mm. that's absolutely a recipe to bad, shatter bad. trust. Bad, right. And you're right. Anytime, you know, vulnerability can be a strength, but when we overuse it, it turns into a weakness. And if you've been around mm-hmm. a person who expresses vulnerability too often, there are times where it feels like a performance or there are times where you want to say, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Like, yeah, it was a hard day. Like, we got to just do it sometimes, right? And that's why you get paid the big bucks and you have the right. title. That's right. <laughs> or, the, or the mediocre bucks and still have the title. Or whatever. Right? Yeah, 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 right. Um, but I, I think it's such a great point because when we overuse it, we can erode people's confidence in us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that our confidence directly informs people's perceptions of our competence. And mm-hmm. we know that if if I am going to follow my leader and buy into my leader and trust my leader, I need to perceive them as competent. And if you've ever worked with someone who was incompetent, either because they didn't have knowledge or skills or they weren't emotionally intelligent enough to navigate difficult times or, or troubling situations, that erosion of competence also shatters trust. And so I'm so glad you brought up overuse because it was on my list of things to talk about. And so finding that kind of that balance um, and and in terms of the way to do that, that authenticity, I think, is the first point uh, to really key into how do I show up authentically with my team, share my worries and concerns, but not have them be the focal point of the entire conversation, not have them be the central pillar to uh, why we're gathering and what we're talking about. You know, I think that when we invite others to share their feelings by Mm -hmm. sharing our own feelings, we become better leaders. We get greater intel and insight into what people need from us as leaders to be more successful, to feel more supported, and to ultimately be more productive. And so sometimes vulnerability as a device to unlock insight that you need to lead others better it, it, it is a skill. It is a, a tactic, if you will. Mm-hmm. But again, it has mm-hmm. to be authentic. It does. And it takes some finesse because you don't want to show up as the victim. Right. Um, I, we've, we've talked before, I think in the last episode, I said, I talked about leaders are going from one of us to one of them. Right. So you're, you know, so as a leader, you have this, you have access to information that you might not be able to share. So if your confidentiality, you don't want to cross that line in your vulnerability. Well, I'm right. going to tell you something I shouldn't tell you. Yeah. That, that, you know, because I just that's need you gossip. to know. That's gossip. That's not vulnerability. That's, that's gossip. Right? right? Or that's that's disingenuous. You, you, yeah. You've given that confidence from your leaders and you're sharing something you shouldn't. Or the other pe- trap that leaders fall into is, well, they said, is then that victim of blaming the customer or blaming the executive team or blaming somebody else for what's going on instead of uh, addressing the problem and finding those constructive ways of dealing with it yes. together. Uh, so be careful that vulnerability doesn't mean you go into victim mode. Yes, yes. And and be careful that vulnerability is not about insecurity, right? Vulnerability mm-hmm. is about acknowledging the very normal human ups and downs that we go through, the things that we wrestle with. If we're constantly giving voice to our insecurity, we end up just making everybody else uncomfortable again and mm-hmm. again and again, and it becomes a distraction. Mm-hmm. And, and it does erode that confidence that we talked about. I'm, I'm especially uh, grateful that you brought up physicians. Uh, I work a lot with physicians. We both have been in the healthcare space for a long time, yeah. and it reminded me of something that... Um, 
a physician told me years ago about that mindset. Uh, she said, when you go to med school, you have probably been the smartest person in the room for most of your life. And then you get there and you're told, you better be right. And then you you have to move through the rest of your professional adult career with those two things happening. And it is really difficult for people who have a high degree of aptitude and intelligence and who have been trained for years to be right, to mm -hmm. sacrifice the control that it takes to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of a lot of the work that's taking place in operating rooms and surgical centers these days mm -hmm. to empower everybody in that room, regardless of station or title, to call a pause if they see something of concern happening or the steps that places like these are taking to move through checklists to make sure yeah. that one person's inability to be vulnerable, admit a mistake, or to sacrifice some control control doesn't lead to an even greater mistake. And so um, I think thinking about vulnerability in that way as a, a temporary sacrificing of the control of your uh, your perception, your your brand, right, to others uh, to show up as a more authentic person um, leads to greater human connection. It leads to more insight from uh, the people on your team, and it makes you a better leader. I agree, and I, I like what you're saying there, to, to, to give it some thought, because this could be that very thing that maybe some of our listeners are thinking, oh, no way, I don't believe it. It might be one of the hardest things to bust through. Yeah to getting comfortable with the idea of giving up that control or showing a little bit of your um, weaker side, if yeah. that's how you see um, when it's just the whole you um, that you're allowing people to see a little bit of. So maybe it's worth just, just trying a little bit. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you as you attempt to uh, be a more vulnerable leader or really apply any of the advice and uh, insight and strategy that we talk about here on our show. Uh, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, this is your show and we invite your questions. If you'd like to have us tackle a problem that you're facing or give you advice on a matter that is taking up your time and attention, you can email your question to us at bossbetternow at gmail.com. Send us your question and we might put you on the show. Not, not you, but your question on the show. And yes, we can change your name to protect you <laughs> if other people in your uh, enterprise listen to our show. So We don't want to make you too vulnerable. That's right. That's right. You don't want to be that vulnerable. Uh, one more time, that email address is bossbetternow at gmail.com. Send us your questions. And that brings us to the camaraderie question of the week. Every week on our show, we give our listeners a question that you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Why? Because camaraderie on teams makes it easier for people to find things in common with each other. And when people find things in common with each other, especially things that have nothing to do with work, they access each other's humanity. They become more forgiving and more collaborative partners and teammates. Camaraderie matters. Feels like a hashtag. Hashtag camaraderie matters. <laughs> so our question this week, Suzanne, what's the best feedback you received in the past year? All right, I had to think about this one, but this was my favorite. It was came, I was surprised by it too, ah. so maybe that was a pretty good one. Okay. So I was leaving a workshop. I just did uh, um, 
an hour long, and it was um, a topic for women in leadership, but there were probably 60% representation in the audience were men. Mm. But we were talking about women leadership. So I was done. I said my goodbyes. Thank you very much. Da, 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 da. Exit stage right. And someone comes running up to me. Suzanne. I'm like, yeah, because I just wanted to tell you, you're a badass. <laughs> was this a he or a she? It was a he. Okay. He said just the things you have to say and your experience and what you've done and what you bring to the table. I'm like, I'm not sure I was putting up there as what I, a goal for me okay. to be called that, but I was called that and I loved it. Nice. I'm very grateful for that. And the fact that he kind of chased me down to tell me that. Yeah. I wonder how long he'd come up with that. <laughs> Well, and it's so it's so nice that he elaborated, right? Because some people would run up and be yeah. like, "You're a badass," and then they turn and go like, "Okay, now it's time for lunch." But because yeah. I would have been left wondering, "Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what, I what did, did I, what I, did I, I went, do?" I I went, "Oh, thank you. Why?" Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> what what connotates that in your mind? And right. Because just your experience is what you've done and what you what you teach others. I'm like, that is awesome. So right. That was that was wonderful. I hope somebody calls me a badass sometime. I'd be like, I, yeah, I know. I five, didn't eight and a half. I got a degree in I music. That. Yeah, badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's way up there. I'm sure there was some good constructive feedback that I had received over the years, but I have a tendency to, you know, honor that then then I don't remember it anymore. Let's hope I right. adjusted, but I'm not gonna remember that. Yes. I thought you were going to tell me a story where you gave a, a, a speech or a workshop. I think you said it was a workshop. And somebody came up to you afterwards and, and started with that dreaded phrase, hey, can I give you some feedback? Which, by the way, world, don't ever do that to a speaker or trainer right after they finished. Right? They just spent weeks preparing and they went on stage and they gave you all they've got. And no, they don't want your feedback at that moment. Unless it is complete validation and praise for everything that they've just done, just That's hold right. on to it for a better time. I thought that's where you were going. That's I'm glad right. it didn't end that way for you. No, because you you are just a tiny bit vulnerable when you're oh. when you just put it out there and you're like, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, I need to decompress, and then yeah, can I give you some feedback? Oh. Right, because if it's anything corrective, one of two things is going to happen, right? If you feel like it went really well, you are the balloon buster, right? You're <laughs> you're pop, you're deflating that person in the moment. Yep. If yep. you didn't think it went well as the speaker or trainer, the the hole that you're in just gets way deeper. Oh. If somebody comes up and is like, "Yeah, listen, man, that that, that was a waste of my time," right? <laughs> so just you know, fill out the evaluation. If you have to send an email the next day to give that feedback, fine, but don't do it in the moment. We'll afterwards. appreciate it for yes. sure. Yeah, yes. after the fact. <laughs> All right, what was yours, Joe? What you got? Best feedback I received in the past year. I was having a, a phone call with a speaker friend and colleague of mine who does a lot of media. She appears on um, cable news. She appears in a lot of noteworthy magazines and newspapers for comment or commentary around a variety of issues. Uh, and this is something that I wanted to try to do more of, um, especially okay. with a new book coming out. So I reached out mm -hmm. to her and I said, hey um, – can you help me understand like how to how to get those opportunities a little bit more and and whatnot? And so we talked for a while, and she said something to me that has stuck with me for months. She said, "Joe, you are waiting to be invited. 
you are waiting for somebody at these places to find you and to call you up and say, hey, Joe knows a little bit about this stuff. We should ask him to comment on this situation or let's interview him about the Great Resignation. And he said that is never, ever going to happen. You have to kick the door in and pound on the table and say, (laughs) listen to me because I know about this. And if you don't do that, your voice won't be heard in this very noisy world that we're in. And she is so right. And I know that I I come from an academic background, right, where if you have something to say, you publish it in a peer-reviewed journal with 42 citations and you share it with the world. And then you wait for other people to decide whether it's smart. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just yeah. not the way it works in media and PR and in magazines. And so it was such a gift for her to say, Joe, you're waiting to be invited. Knock it off. Nice. And nice. um so in the past few months, we've started like pounding on the table a little bit more. And what does that look like? Well, for us, it means pitching stories to media. It means um, responding to queries that reporters have about certain topics and issues and um, not being afraid to say what we think, even if it's not what everybody will agree with. So it's been a real, real valuable piece of feedback for me. I love it. I love it when that feedback is so... It was almost advice, right? It was readily usable, reusable. (laughs) You're going to carry that with you. Yeah. And she gave it to me in this really kind of bite-sized, digestible, um, you know, it wasn't like a 45-minute speech. She was like, you're waiting to be invited. You've got to kick the door in. Pound on the table. Yeah. Look out. Mind your toes. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. All right, folks, as you move into the new year, do you know that we have a program here at Joe Mullen Associates that will allow the leaders in your organization to get bite-sized micro-learning from me every single month? And we can do it for less than the cost of bringing me on site for one hour. We founded the Boss Better Leadership Academy about a year and a half ago. It's almost two years now, which I can't even believe. And what we have learned is that it is possible to build better bosses in just 30 minutes a month. What we do is every month we create a micro-learning course, which takes only 15 minutes or less to consume, and we send it out each month to all of our subscriber organizations. Managers are expected by their organizations to consume that 15 minutes of training content. And then at another point during that same month, our subscriber organizations take 15 more minutes to discuss that content at a leadership meeting using a provided discussion guide. And so those two bite-sized moments, 15 minutes to consume the video and 15 minutes for discussion, are resulting in leadership transformation in the organizations that subscribe. It turns out you can develop the skills and knowledge and insight it takes to be a better boss with just a few minutes of ongoing leadership development. If you are interested in signing your organization up for this kind of ongoing learning and development support, all you have to do is send an email to hello at joemall.com, and we can send you more information about the Boss Better Leadership Academy. It's like Netflix, but for bosses and with fewer period dramas. All right, that brings us to one of my favorite segments, Suzanne, one that we haven't done in a while. We call it Stop It. Stop omitting or misrepresenting salary on job postings. 
Folks, I can't even believe this is still a thing. I've been running my own business for 10 years, so it's been a long time since I've applied for a job. But apparently, this is still a thing. I remember back in the day when you would see a job posting and you would be interested maybe potentially in applying for that job. And you would scroll to the bottom and you would either see no salary information, salary commensurate with experience, or you would see salary range between $14 an hour and $48 an hour. So where am I coming in at? And if you've ever applied for that job and you've gotten the phone interview and then you've gotten the in-person interview after sending in your resume and sending in a cover letter and still filling out the giant online application where I have to retype all the information that is already typed on my resume, you go through that whole process and then they tell you, well, Joe, we're interested in you and I need to understand your salary expectations because we're hiring in for this role at fifteen twenty-five an hour even though the range on the posting said 14 to 38. We are living in a place and at a time right now where candidates for your jobs are no longer willing to part with the time and effort it takes to move through your selection process without knowing whether or not that job is a good financial fit for them. Also, let's recognize that when we avoid putting the salary on a job posting, we're sending a signal to candidates that salary is not a differentiator here. Because if it was, you would brag about it. If you had highly competitive market salaries, you would trumpet that from the rooftops, wouldn't you, on your job postings? But we don't do that. When I see no salary posted, it's a message that we probably don't pay very well. When we put ranges in there, we're sending a message that what we're most interested in is securing a new hire at the lowest possible wage through negotiation. And if we can keep it low, we're going to keep it low. What would happen if you just said the salary is blank? And yes, I know in some organizations you need to account for degrees and experience, et cetera. But you could say the salary is blank period. This is what we're bringing someone in at. And then if they bring you more than you expect, you could surprise them with a higher salary. That is how you find and keep devoted employees in this new age of work. At another level, though, when we fail to put salary information on a job description, it singles signals a lack of consideration for the human being behind the application. If my early interactions with your company leave me feeling as though you don't respect my time or my need to assess financial fit, what other kinds of dehumanizing experiences await me if I come to work there? I don't know if you know this, but we're, there are a couple of states in the union here in the U.S. that have started passing what are called pay transparency laws. This is already happening in California and New York, where organizations are being required to be upfront about salary. This is in part because we are more than 40 years behind wage growth, and there are negative impacts on the economy when companies continue to work to suppress wages. So for all the reasons that I just listed, and because this may be coming to a state near you soon, stop it. Stop omitting or misrepresenting salary on job postings. I haven't done one of those in a little while. Mm, I, I've not heard that music before. Is that our first it's stop it time. since you joined it the show? Is, I believe so. 
I get a little ranty sometimes about some things, and that's just a that's a little little Ooh. segment, a little bit that we do uh, yep. around you know rantiness that I try to do every once in a while. It's a little fun for me, gets my anger out, you know, in a healthy yeah. way. So where are you? Where do you stand on this, my friend? I saw you Ooh. nodding, and I saw you taking notes. So have at um, it. Where do you? Where do you yes. stand? Well, I, I I stand for transparency. Let's yes. put it that way. So I also find there are different ways or different places in the process that it might benefit. Um, you know, I've sat with organizations who, right or wrong, right? We can argue that in another show. Cannot leave with salaries as a differentiating factor. Right. Yep. We are not going to Get be it. the competitive salary. So yep. if they hey, if they put that out there, then they might miss applicants that maybe they could have sold into the job um, because you're still trying to find the best possible talent given the budget you have. Yep. Not to say the budget doesn't need work, but that is the reality of some of these situations. Okay. So there's that. The other thing that comes to mind is the HR or the teams that don't have they haven't matured enough or they're in growth mode or they probably yeah. haven't honestly given it the right amount of attention to make sure that they have equal pay, bans, the right structure, the right transparency inside. Because if you put it on the outside and people didn't know that on the inside, you have to deal with your, your you know, mm-hmm. in, innards first before you go outside with everything, yep. right? I think a shorter, a smaller range a little more indication of is is this you know i've i've seen you know mid to upper 30s or yeah. low six figures at least something and then what i think the a great opportunity that seems missed in the article here and examples you've given is that recruiter that recruiter doesn't want to waste their time either yes so that should that should very much be vetted at the beginning of the process i've applied we're going to have a conversation i need as the applicant to be prepared to say how much i want what I'm looking for and why. And then that recruiter needs to know whether to take me forward or not take me forward based on that information. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so I've been on the inside where we have salary review, like we're about to make it off to this person. It's over the, it's over the budget or it's over what we thought it would be. Then you make a business decision based on the credential or the proven track record or whether whatever attributes about that candidate if we want to invest in them. But then you also have to look at the impact of what it does to your current employee base. Have you now just taken a project manager and you're paying them 25% more than any other project manager? And what's the impact? They're No, they're not supposed to talk about salary, but transparency is going to mm-hmm. Again, you're going to you're going to start expecting that internally. So there's yes, transparency should be there and HR leaders, executives need to find the way to build that into the systems internally and externally um, and make sure that they're they are paying people fair. Yeah. Fairly, right? If you've got something to hide, fix that. And yeah. then you don't have to worry about transparency too much. I agree with almost every single thing you said. Almost. Almost, okay. right. I very much am aware of, so So let me say this, I will absolutely take a range over nothing every single time. And and you're right. right. We have to narrow the ranges. People will put the like career range for the job uh, you know, as defined by the, the yep. HR uh, position alignment that they have in the organization or, right. or the, um, right. you know, the position ranges. But 
that's not the hiring range. And the hiring manager and the recruiter know what the hiring range is. So that's what mm -hmm. should go on it. So absolutely, I'm with you on that. Um, I am very aware that for places who believe they can't pay more or for whatever reason don't have the budget to offer more competitive wages, that it is an, it is an intentional choice to not list salary. And, that, and what we're trying to do then is win that person over with our people and our culture and all the other warm and fuzzies that we're going to deploy uh, to people when they come through the interview process. And I have to tell you, this is probably an, an inelegant analogy, but it feels a lot to me like the person who joins the dating site knows they're not very good looking, so they don't put a picture up or they put somebody else's picture up and says, I'm going to win over this, you know, a win over <laughs> a partner on personality. And at the end of the day, it feels like trickery. And I know it's not necessarily intended that way, but – not listing salary when you know you're not paying enough for people to really pay attention and then hoping you can just get them through the door and make them fall in love, it feels really dishonest to me at a time when everything costs more, right? Mm -hmm. Put that time well, and effort into bumping the number and just be upfront about it because as we've talked about on this show, it's not all about money for people, right? It, it is about culture. Right. So if you're not leading with salary as a competitive advantage, yep. then still be transparent about it. Thank you. Yes. Right? So what I'm saying is maybe you get an applicant. Maybe you didn't advertise it. You advertise the range. You still, that first call, that screening call is so pivotal. Pivotal. Yes. And I'm not advocating we're, we're, you know, pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. But when there's non-fuzzy benefits, Joe, like a, bene you know, bonus that pays out, has paid out 110% over the yep. last five years. Yep. Or, uh, um, 401k that matches more than anybody, um, you know, mm -hmm. in the industry, you might have some differentiators that just salary alone yep. is not going to show up. And so you might not get even get them in the door. I agree. Not the fluff, not the free lunches, not, you know, um, everyone's so nice here. Those aren't the things, but if you've got tangible benefit packages and many of my clients are being very creative in their benefit packages, yep. um, right. If they're look, they might, they're doing all the cart packages now, whether it, so if it's, you don't need these health benefits, but you want this um, pet care. So there are some creative ways. Now, yeah. does that make up for a $10,000 difference in a pay range? No, but if for some, it does, if you're, if you're splitting hairs, well, I meant in, you know, if my competitor pays $10,000 more is what I'm saying. Yeah. And our I, starting yeah. Range. And I'm, and I'm saying the same okay. thing. Yeah. I, I think it yeah. does. And I, I think you put it all on there. I think you put the free lunches on there and, you know, you put the things on there that some people might see as fluff, but others might see as really valuable. So we talked about this, I think recently on the show, did we talk about the job posting that I put up where the HR yes. consultant advised yes. us to take away everything except the duties and the salary, <laughs> right? Yeah. And everything yeah, else was the differentiator. We talked yes. about a culture of manageable workloads. We talked about um, making time to talk about musical theater and get Mexican takeout during staff meetings. Like we talked about some of that cultural stuff that was in there while also listing the salary. And so 
I'm of a mind, put it all in there. If you know you're not competitive with salary, do the work behind the scenes to try to move that number as much as you can, but be upfront about it. Have enough respect for the person on the other end of that to not try to lure them into your process and waste their time if there is no human way possible for them to earn $15 an hour or $22 an hour doing what they do. But for the folks who can make it possible, They're going to appreciate the transparency, and they might be attracted to all that other stuff that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. I think it goes – I think everything goes on there. Okay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, sometimes their hiring managers don't know. They don't know. That's true. The salary. They don't know the range because that's not how that organization functions. So that's where we – there might be just a lot of work has to be done on the inside first before that transparency can go public. But it's I have a book we can send them. I bet you do. (laughs) Just Google (laughs) Employalty, E-M-P-L-O-Y-A-L-T-Y, or my name, Joe Mull, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And you can pre-order Employalty where there's a whole chapter on generous wages and the role that they play in – finding and keeping devoted employees. I wasn't planning a shameless plug for the book at the end of this episode, but it happened organically. So that doesn't count against me, does it? Not at all. Not at all. All right, friends, that's our show this week. If you liked what you heard, please share this show on your social media. Let others know that, hey, I've happened upon this podcast that I kind of quite like. It's called Boss Better Now. Share this episode or any other episode that you like uh, on your favorite platform, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, any other place where you're hanging out online. We always appreciate it. And spreading the word helps us fulfill our mission of filling workplaces with better bosses. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today.